It seems that State Representative Greg Razor is involved in every public policy area that's up top of mind this session. He's on the House Budget Committee, the House Higher Education Committee, and a task force that deals with transportation needs. Now he's on the Politically Speaking podcast to talk about his busy session and the 2018 election cycle. The Kansas City Democrat is coming up next, so let's hit the music. This is the Politically Speaking podcast, a candid conversation with the Show Me State's biggest political newsmakers. I'm Jason Merzenbaum. And I'm Joe Manis. That's Eric Greitens, Navy <laughs> SEALs running for governor, and I'm really, really glad to be on with you, Jason and Joe. I'm going to push back on these regulators. I'm doing this for the people. I was encouraged along the way, not just by my family, but by a lot of teachers and professors and knew when I was in college that I would run for office someday. We're very excited about the prospect of having some more free market solutions. Even though after the conversation, I still might not agree. We want our listeners to get a real sense of what drives these people. They're actually people with a story to tell. And welcome to Politically Speaking. I'm your host, Jason Rosenbaum, a reporter with St. Louis Public Radio. Joining me in St. Louis today is... Colleague Joe Manis. And joining us from our beautiful studios in Jefferson City, Missouri, the pride of Pemiscot County, Missouri, our special guest today is... State Representative Greg Razor. And um, you are a Democrat who actually represents part of Kansas City, but I mentioned Pemiscot County because when I talked with you for the first time, that's actually where you, you grew up and are from. Are, are you the only Pemiscot County native in Kansas City, or have you found at least a couple of other people at this point? <laughs> oh, man. You know, I, uh, as far as I know, I'm it. Uh, wow. s- somebody will hear this and know of someone else, but uh, I, I'm fairly confident I'm the only person from Cooter, Missouri, uh, in Pemiscot County that currently lives in Kansas City. Yeah, and for for full disclosure, I've actually driven past Cooter, Missouri on my way to Little Rock, Arkansas. How do you spell that? Exactly how you think. (laughs) C-O-O-T-E-R. At least it's not Cooties. Exactly. (laughs) Cootie, Missouri. Um, Before we get into your background and and your, your political career, just let our listeners know what the boundaries of your district is. So I represent a part of the city of Kansas City uh, for your listeners who are familiar, I represent the Country Club Plaza, the shopping district there in the, the central part of the city. And then uh, the neighborhood. I was there for Lincoln Days. It's, it's a beautiful part. I recommend everyone come to Kansas City and come spend your money on the plaza, uh, eat, drink, uh, do some shopping. And then I have some uh, wonderful neighborhoods just south of there, uh, Brookside, Waldo, down to uh, into South Kansas City. So as I kind of alluded to in the intro, you you have what I would consider a pretty fascinating backstory when it comes to your your road to the legislature. Um, You're an urban Democrat who grew up in rural Missouri. So you're probably one of the few Democrats in the legislature who has kind of seen both how urban and rural life is. I, I say that knowing that that didn't used to be the case. There used to be a lot of Democrats representing rural Missouri. So I kind of want you to touch on that and also give me a sense of of your pathway into the political arena. Sure. So when I was first approached about running for office, uh, that that was one of the things that the people brought up to me is, you know, Greg, the Democratic caucus needs someone who understands both urban and rural issues. I grew up in, as you said, in Pemiscot County. Uh, the town of Cooter is about 450 people. Uh, I like to say I grew up in the suburbs. 
uh, of Cooter, just outside of there, on a cotton farm. Uh, my mother was brought up on the same plot of land. My my grandparents, you know, had, had been there for years. Uh, uh, went to the same high school that my siblings and my parents and my grandparents went to. Uh, I had that upbringing. Um, after high school, I ended up at the University of Missouri. Uh, loved my time there. Uh, my my claim to fame, I think, no matter what I do in politics, will always be that I was Truman the Tiger. At really? Mizzou. So something I am I am very proud of that we were just joking about in our higher education committee. Actually, uh, we had two former Trumans sitting in uh, this afternoon. What was the other one? Brian Milner. It was Brian Milner, and we had a former Missouri State Bear in the room. I, I have uh, I have I, I have to just be uh, again uh, disclosure for our listeners. Brian and I were actually in the same fraternity at the University of Missouri. We we're actually in the same pledge class at the University wow. of Missouri, and we actually ran against each other for president of our fraternity. I lost, by the way, but I was reelected uh, lieutenant master of administration. So I served under the Milner administration. Probably more have... information than your listeners need to know. <laughs> I'm gonna have to bring that up to him. Yeah. We were having a we were having the discussion over who was the best Truman ever. So, uh, I we we didn't decide. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, I, I was there at Mizzou. Um, after college, I uh, decided I would give, and this was literally the thought in my head, I would give Kansas City a whirl. Uh, I had some friends that were living there. I moved over to the KC area, and I just fell in love with the city. Uh, I've been there for 17 years now, uh, 18 years, something like that. Uh, I've lived in the district that I represent for the vast majority of that time, uh, and just it, the size, the feel, the vibe of Kansas City just really fits me. Uh, but since I've been there, I've worked in public policy or on political campaigns, uh, and most recently, for eight years prior to joining the General Assembly, I was on the official staff uh, for Claire McCaskill, uh, her official Senate staff office in Kansas City, where I covered a 28-county region of mostly rural northwest Missouri. Uh, so while I was born and raised in southeast Missouri, I then spent eight years traveling uh, back roads in northwest Missouri, going to St. Joe, Maryville, Chillicothe, all the way down to Sedalia, Warrensburg, uh, that whole northwest quadrant of the state. So there are oftentimes I find myself uh, uh, kind of being the rural voice, even in and other committees, you know, we're talking about uh, transportation issues and somebody wants to discuss lettered routes and whether or not we should give those back to counties. I'm, I find myself oftentimes being the rural, in quotation marks, the rural legislator in the room standing up for those, for those counties and their, how difficult of a time they have with their budgets. And just as a, a brief aside, um, we often talk on this show about the arduous electoral campaigns some of our legislators go through. The interesting thing in your case was when Jeremy Lefebvre said he wasn't going to run again, and and this was a district where there had been competitive primaries in the Democratic field to become a state legislator, you were the only candidate, I think, in either party that ended up signing up for the seat. I, I, I believe a similar thing happened with Kip Kendrick when he ran in 2014. Was, was that surprising to you, or were you just so incredibly popular in Kansas City that you knew that you were going to have an unopposed election. <laughs> I, I would love to think that that was it. Uh, you know, I, I don't know what happened. Um, I announced, uh, I believe, a month, and I'd have to go back and look 
to make sure this is exactly right, but I think a month before filing began. So I want to say people had a month or two. It wasn't like, you know, I announced the day before filing ended. Uh, there was no tricks there. Uh, it was I announced. Uh, I did have good fortune of announcing in February, and then we had one of those bizarre weekends where it was in the 70s. Uh, went out and immediately started knocking doors. I was able to fundraise quite a bit right off the bat and kind of announced that. Uh, so uh, I kind of had a plan for once I announced how I wanted to hit the ground running. Uh, I did that. I, I made a lot of friends, met a lot of people, and thankfully uh, was able to survive that really tough election campaign. Very, very tough. Well, we're going to delve into politics later in the show again. But what I want to do now, as is customary when either Joe or I do a feature, is I'm going to play for our listeners and our guests a feature that I did last week on the debate over tax cuts in Missouri. And then we're going to use that as a springboard to, to talk about that issue, which is top of mind in the General Assembly. Greitens made tax cuts the centerpiece of his State of the State speech, which was overshadowed by his admission that he had an extramarital affair before he was governor. The Republican chief executive hit the road this week to promote his proposal, which, among other things, cuts income and corporate taxes. It is a bold plan. It's going to reduce taxes on 97 percent of Missourians, and that's what we want to do. We want to cut taxes for the people of Missouri. To be sure, Greitens' standing with the legislature was shaky even before the infidelity revelation. But some GOP lawmakers are interested in tax cuts. For instance, Republican Senator Bill Eigel of Weldon Spring put forth his own plan before session started that gradually lowers Missouri's income tax. So I think there's a compelling message that as we move away from the income tax, what will start to grow is our population. And as our population grows, that's going to that's going to broaden the tax base that we're drawing from in the first place. I think that's the best thing we can do. Since Republicans have huge majorities in the House and Senate, getting a tax cut passed should be a piece of cake, right? Well, that's not how Senate President Pro Tem Ron Richards sees things. The Joplin Republican represents a district close to Kansas. That state instituted a string of tax cuts in 2012 that were financially detrimental. I like low taxes too, but I'm going to be very careful to make sure that we're not endangering this institution, this building, the, the taxpayers, after I'm gone, beyond repair. Kansas's tax cuts blew such a big hole in that state's budget that lawmakers there ended up having to raise taxes. But it's not just Kansas's tax-cutting spree giving lawmakers here pause. Missouri legislators are looking at steep budget cuts for the second consecutive year. Democratic State Representative Crystal Quaid of Springfield contends that years of business and income tax cuts led to Missouri's financial woes. You know, there was a lot of fights last year around in-home services for seniors and folks with disabilities. Higher ed took a really big cut. Um, there, were a, there were a lot of cuts that a lot of folks were really upset about. And you add even more tax cuts to that, then it's concerning of what else is to come. In response to concerns about how their plans could adversely affect the state's budget, Eigel and Greitens have pointed to how their tax cuts are paired with getting rid of popular tax breaks. Both proposals would in some ways pare down Missouri's federal income tax deduction. Greitens' plan would also remove a 2% discount that businesses get for paying their taxes on time. And Eigel's plan would raise the state's gas tax. I think that if ever there were a time to talk about tax reform and to move forward with tax reform, it's probably now. If you look at what our colleagues at, at the federal level were able to accomplish, certainly if you can make progress in Washington, D.C., I think we can make that progress here in Jefferson City. Yet if any tax cut plan results in a big revenue drop, lawmakers may not have any options to reverse it. 
As House Minority Leader Gail McCann Beatty noted, the state constitution makes it very difficult for the legislature to pass tax hikes. Most have to go up for a statewide vote. The difference in Kansas is when they realize that they made a mistake, they simply reversed it. We don't get that option here. Uh, we have to go back to the vote of the people in order to reverse it. And so we could really be leading ourselves down a, um, you know, down a rabbit hole that we may not be able to recover from. Before even getting to that point, though, lawmakers actually have to send something to Greitens desk. Given the uncertainty over the governor's political standing and the state of the Missouri budget, it isn't a sure thing that will happen before session ends in May. So, Representative, you're going to be uh, probably one of the legislators who are going to be seeing some of these proposals, both emanating from the governor's office and some of your Republican colleagues. What's kind of your view of this entire situation, especially with the backdrop that Representative Quaid mentioned about the state's budget problems? So if you look at our state right now, we're at, what, three, three and a half percent unemployment. Uh, They might not be the greatest jobs that are are, that everyone has, but people by and large have jobs. The economy by and large is, is doing okay, uh, yet we are stuck in a self-induced budget crisis in Jefferson City. Uh, we have not seen the full effects yet of Senate Bill 509 from a few years ago. Uh, the, the gains that we get and the economic growth are immediately uh, tossed aside because of those corporate tax cuts. Uh, and it, it's not, you know, you hear the governor, you hear Senator Igel, others talk uh, about tax cuts as, you know, a conservative approach to governing. It's not conservative, it's irresponsible. It's simply irresponsible to advocate for more cuts when we haven't seen the fruition of the last round of cuts they've made. Uh, I said on the budget committee, uh, the governor's recommending another 10% across the board cut to higher education after last year's 10% cut. Uh, Our institutions of higher education can't keep absorbing uh, these cuts. Uh, I've heard a lot of people say, well, it's a $27 billion budget. Surely you can find a few hundred million. Well, that's a nice soundbite until you actually understand how the budget of Missouri works and realize that there's only about a third of that that we can manipulate. That's the third that pays for K through 12, for higher education, for our social services, for our state employees, who, by the way, are the lowest paid in the country. Uh, We have responsibilities as a state government, uh, and we have to make sure that we, as the people of Missouri, are providing the funds necessary to fulfill those responsibilities. Yeah, I think that's something that people often don't realize. Two-thirds of Missouri's budget, in effect, is just is either federal money or money from other dedicated sources that are basically just passed through. Which, um, which I think a great example is the gas tax. Right. We cannot take the gas tax money and use it for something else. So that's part of that $27 billion, but it can't be used for something else. So I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. But. No, 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 this is, this is terrific. But because I think many people are like, oh, there's all those... Bu- there's all that money. You ought to be able to come up with it. Well, most of it, the General Assembly and the governor have very little control over it. Yes. So as was kind of mentioned in the story, especially the governor's plan does include some 
things that actually Democrats have been pushing for for a while. For example, it pairs down uh, the federal uh, income tax deduction. Uh, Senator Eigel's plan, I think, completely gets rid of it from what I understand. And it also gets rid of the 2% discount that businesses get for, for paying their taxes on time. And I think that there are a couple of other things that I've, I've heard your Democratic colleagues at least speak favorably of in the past. So what's kind of your thought that these ideas are actually being incorporated into some of these Republican tax cuts? And conversely, do you actually think that they'll make it to the legislative finish line? Because I'm sure there's also some opposition to those ideas among the Republican majority. Well, I mean, first of all, I would say even a bad idea is going to have a silver lining here and there. So I'm I'm sure you know, we delve into these two different proposals, the Greitens tax plan and the Eigel tax plan, that, yeah, I'm sure I'm not going to disagree 100% with everything that's in the bill. Uh, but let's take, for an example, the, the 2% early filing discount that businesses get. This was originally put into law, I believe, in the, the 30s, when businesses were still filing their taxes by paper uh, and so the state government tried to get them, give them incentives to send in their taxes in time so we could balance the books and have the cash flow. Well, today we're losing millions and millions and millions of dollars because of huge corporations that are taking advantage of this. Two percent, I believe, is the largest uh, incentive of any state in the country. If not, it's, it's very close to the largest. Uh, you know, but that's not really an incentive for Walmart. That's just extra cash in their pocket or for McDonald's or for whoever. Uh, so, yeah, I would I would think that's a great idea to find more revenue by eliminating or greatly reducing that 2%. However, that's something that we talked about this summer and fall. I was on the statewide uh, transportation task force of perhaps using that money that we save there and having it be dedicated to our port system in the state of Missouri. I think a lot of people don't realize with, you know, our continent's two major rivers converging right there in St. Louis and cutting across the state, we actually have a lot of ports uh, in Missouri, um, a great one being uh, yours in St. Louis, uh, but we don't invest in them. Uh, we're, we're losing a lot of economic impact because of that. So, yeah, it's great that maybe we can get rid of that, but do you just dump that money back into general revenue and spread it out evenly, or do you find a dedicated fund? So we have to have those sorts of conversations. I do want to delve into the the discussion over the gas tax, because Senator Eigel's plan raises the gas tax by about six cents. Um, Greitens' tax plan doesn't raise the gas tax at all. And all the while, there's been this Senate House commission, which I'm not sure if you served on, but I'm sure you've been paying attention to it, that in, that advocated for a 10 cent gas tax increase and I believe a 12 cent diesel tax increase. I do know for a fact that transportation policy is something you pay very close attention to. I'm interested to hear your perspective on what the state should do, if anything, to get more money for roads, bridges, and and also other transportation uh, areas like ports, as you just mentioned. So I was on that uh, task force. It was uh, a task force that was formed by the General Assembly. Uh, it was made up of Republicans and Democrats in both the House, the Senate, uh, the governor's appointees, and then folks from the private sector. So from uh, the trucking industry, uh, from the labor communities, et cetera. We studied the issue. I think we had 10 different meetings, over 40 hours of hearings, uh, and had it in each region of, had meetings in each region of the state. And 
once you study the plight that MoDOT is in, you realize that we have got to find them more sources of revenue. So the Department of Transportation was in uh, quite a bind several years ago. Uh, there was no new revenue that was going to come in. So they had to do what, what Republicans had wanted them to do for a long time and what I think is the correct thing, which was to right-size themselves. They laid off 1,200 employees. They redrew their district lines, eliminating districts and then el therefore eliminating overhead. They sold off, I believe it was nearly 800 pieces of equipment uh, and uh, sold off a lot of uh, rural sheds that they would have where they might house snow plows and, and mowers and that sort of thing. They took all that savings and put it directly back into roads and bridges. All MoDOT is able to do at this point is maintain the infrastructure that we have, that we have at the condition it's currently in. That's what the money that MoDOT has allows them to do, which means that they are doing an amazing job of maintaining our 20th century infrastructure with 20th century funding. What the committee finally realized is we've, we are now in the 21st century and we need to fund them appropriately. Missouri sits right dead center of North America. We have Interstate 70 running through our state. We have the two major rivers of our continent. Uh, we have two major international airports. There is no reason we aren't the transportation hub of North America. Uh, part of the reason we aren't is because we're not giving MoDOT the resources to invest to make us that hub. Uh, and so, yes, the committee came away with the recommendation to the legislature that we need to increase the gas tax by 10 cents, the diesel tax by 12 cents, uh, and then looking at other things. Uh, we're getting to a point in the next 10 to 20 years where more cars are going to be uh, electric or some form of hybrid than are based on gasoline. And so then also looking at what do we do then? Uh, so that conversation has started. But the, the first conversation we have to have is how do we win the decade? How do we get out of the hole that we've dug ourselves in? The General Assembly has not done anything to raise gas taxes since 1992. The last time, and at that point, they raised it by six cents, and it went in two cents every two years until 96. So the last time we saw an increase was in 1996, uh, which brought us to 17 cents, which is where we're at now, which today has the purchasing power of eight cents that it did in 96. So MoDOT is doing an amazing job, uh, amazingly efficient. Uh, they aren't perfect. No one is. No institution is. Uh, but it's time we give them the resources to move us forward. So as you see what may or may not happen this session with this talk about the governor's budget cuts and anything, I mean, what you're just saying, it indicates there likely won't be any movement or much on transportation if the uh, General Assembly is deciding whether or not to cut income taxes more or what else uh, or other cuts that the governor may have on the table and how to balance the current budget you have. Uh, any thoughts about how you're going to deal with that juggling act? So, so think about what Senator Eigel is proposing, uh, is this revenue neutral, which I, I, from what I understand it's really not, but this revenue neutral plan where you raise the gas tax, yet you eliminate the income tax. So the taxpayer is sending in the same amount of money, but it, it I, I don't, 
I don't fully understand what his I, idea is. I don't. Is. Yeah, just to just to it, interject, I don't think Eigel's plan is revenue neutral. No, my assumption is it, it does end up meaning less money for general revenue. But what he told me is in effect. It's transferring money from general revenue into a dedicated gas tax because he feels like that needs to be a, a priority. It's certainly a different idea than what we're used to, but I also have heard like people just want a straight gas tax without pairing it with an income tax cut. Well, 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 well we, uh, you, sorry, no, go ahead. I'm glad he admitted that that it is taking money from general revenue and put it into roads and bridges, because Joe, like we were just talking about. Senator Eigel's going to tell you that we have a $27 billion budget. Well, we have $9 billion that we can play with, that, that we can manipulate where the money goes. So what he's saying is, while we need hundreds of millions to increase our infrastructure in the state, he's saying take it from higher education. He's saying take it from, you know, the programs that put food in hungry kids' mouths. Um, he's saying take it from, you know, let's not give our state employees a raise for another 10 years. Uh, that's where the money's coming from. So when he says we'll take it from general revenue, that, that's the only place to take it from are those types of programs. Well, and I think uh, many people may not realize the individual income tax is the state's major source of funding. Yes. I mean, that's the largest block of funding that the state gets. For its general revenue budget, which, as as you and Jason and I have emphasized, funds most of the budget that people that that address people's lives, and so if you, I mean, there, I mean, you would have to. I mean, there was an examination a few years ago when they were talking about increasing the um, sales tax. They were going to, have to re- increase the sales tax by a humongous amount to come anywhere close to what the um, state income tax comes in. I'm not advocating one way or the other. I'm just laying out the numbers here. So um, when the governor proposes cutting the income tax further and doing some other things, I mean, how receptive do you think the General Assembly is going to be? Are they going to discuss it but not do anything or uh, discuss it and do something? I know you're part of the minority, but at least you should probably have somewhat of a handle on where you think things are going to go. I get the sense that there's going to be a discussion. I don't get the sense that any any of these plans are going to become law this year. Uh, I I get the sense, and this is just my my gut sense that I'm feeling around the building. Uh, this is my second year uh, as a legislator. Last year, uh, you know, the majority party was gung ho. They'd just taken complete control of government. They still have complete control of the state government. They can do whatever they want. Uh, and they were ready to use that power. This year, after uh, the governor's scandal, I feel like the, the air has been let out of the tire. Um, I'm not sure that there is really the stomach to go after something uh, this big and this dangerous for the state. Uh, my The western boundary of my district is State Line Road. Uh, so Kansas literally just sits on the other side of the street. You know, we had a, a firsthand look at what this looks like. Uh, in Kansas. Uh, and it's a disaster. I think, you know, they're going to tell you that this isn't the Kansas plan and they'll they'll talk for 10 minutes about why it's not. I think the reason it is, is what Governor Brownback did in Kansas was take a bandage and rip it off all at once. Uh, what they're trying to do here is keep you from noticing by pulling 
hair by hair off your arm as they pull it out. Uh, but at the end of the day, the, the goal is the same and the outcome is going to be the same. Uh, before we get into issues and, and legislation that you're personally advocating for, I do want to touch on how the legislature has operated since the aforementioned scandal you mentioned. For our listeners who don't know, what uh, the representative is referring to is the admission from the governor that he had an extramarital affair before he was governor. He has denied allegations that he committed blackmail in order to keep the woman quiet about the infidelity. And that was about, what, a month ago? It was the day yeah. of the state of the state address, which was The early. night of the so state almost, of the state. So it's almost exactly a month ago. Time, time has flown by, but there's still kind of this hazy cloud of that entire situation over the legislature, even though I think the coverage of it has died down considerably. At this point in time, how do you see that affecting kind of the the flow of, of major priorities in everyday legislation? You know, so much of what was pushed last year, I felt like it was the governor's agenda. Now, keep in mind, I'm a member of the minority party, so that, you know, they're not letting me into the, the decision-making rooms as far as what the priorities are going to be. I, I get the sense, though, that there's a little bit of a rudderless uh, feeling going on. Um, having said that, and I, I've told them both this pers- personally, and I'll say it publicly, you know, I think uh, Speaker Richardson has done a, a fantastic job. Uh, he's been very fair uh, in how he's run the House. I, I vote against him 90 percent of the time, uh, but I have a great deal of respect for him. And, and same goes for Chairman Fitzpatrick, who is the budget chairman. Uh, they both do uh, very good jobs of being fair to everyone uh, in the chamber and in the committee. But as far as their agenda goes, uh, I, I feel like the governor has has caused a big blow to it. Well, let's talk about a particular issue that you're you're handling and that many people on both the Republican and Democratic side have been advocating for for a long time, and that's the Missouri Non-Discrimination Act. Um, for our listeners, the, essentially what this does is it, it adds um, gay, lesbian, bisexual, and transgender uh, individuals into the Missouri Human Rights Act. And, and basically right now in Missouri, if you're fired from a job, there is no recourse for you to go to court and sue that business for unjustly firing you. You can do that if you're fired because you're a, a woman or if you're Jewish or if you're black or Hispanic. It, but it's not for sexual orientation. Or, or gender identity. Yes. I also want to yes. make that clear. Yes. So hopefully I've described and laid out the issue correctly. You're the sponsor. I believe you're actually the main sponsor of this bill this year. Tell me kind of a sense of like what you think the sense of the legislature is about this this bill, because in the past it actually has passed out of the Senate on the last day, but I don't believe it's ever passed out of the House before. Um, and, and I know that it, it may seem difficult to pass out because – it may seem like an issue that Republicans are opposed to, but I've also seen over the last few years more and more Republicans get behind this idea. That is a backdrop. What is the lay of the land on Mona right now? So the the Missouri – I want to clarify one thing. The Missouri Non-Discrimination Act, you're correct, it adds uh, LGBT people to the state's human rights statute, which protects in housing, employment, and public accommodation. Hmm. So today you can be fired from your job, you can be kicked out of your apartment, or you can be denied a meal at a restaurant – simply because you are or somebody thinks you might be uh, gay. So uh, it changes that. I feel like, uh, you know, we've never even gotten this passed out of committee. 
in the House. This is the 20th consecutive year that this legislation has been introduced in Missouri, and for 19 consecutive years, it's died. A simple bill saying you can't fire someone from their job for being LGBT. Um, we debated it on the floor. It was offered as an amendment on another bill, and we debated it for about an hour last year on the floor of the House, and I was struck at the number of Republicans who stood and spoke in favor of the bill. Oftentimes, they were um, older and more rural Republicans who were standing and speaking in favor of the bill. As I would talk to them privately, not all, but some of them would say, my son came out, my daughter came out, my granddaughter came out, uh, the, the young man that sits behind me at church is out. Uh, and you know, I, I'm, you know, they might say I'm 70 years old and for all my life I've thought this was wrong and now I've met someone and I realize you know, they're, they're no different than anyone else. And so I think the process of coming out uh, within the LGBT community has really started to change, and I hate to use this phrase, hearts and minds, uh, and we're seeing that. I'm hopeful that the speaker is gonna refer this bill. So I have sponsored it, so is Representative Tom Hannigan from St. Charles. Uh, we're, I think we're gonna try to present this together, uh, and I'm hopeful we'll get that referred to a committee soon, uh, and then get it out of committee and get a, an up and down, up or down vote on this on the House floor. I, I think I think we could get this passed this year. What is the main reason why it hasn't been passed yet? I mean, one possibility is from the policy angle, Republicans may not want to add a, a, a you know, sexual orientation and gender identity because they're fearful it will cause more lawsuits. I've also just heard that some Republicans are just not comfortable with the LGBT community. Um, I'd be interested to hear what you hear from people that don't support this about why it hasn't been passed yet. So I, I think there are still a handful of people who just aren't comfortable with those of us who are, are LGBT. Um, obviously, those people aren't coming to talk to me. Uh, the people who do come and speak to me one, you're correct. They say, Greg, you know, I, I hate the idea that somebody could fire you from a job for being gay. However, I don't want to add this to the human rights statute because it gives somebody one more way to sue their employer. Well, my response to that is tell the employer not to discriminate. Um, you know, that, it, it seems backwards to me. Uh, now, last year, of course, we, we took a major blow to the human rights statute. Uh, so I, I'm, I will be curious to see if the Missouri Chamber of Commerce still opposes this bill. Uh, my guess is that they will now support it. Uh, I, I'm hopeful that they will. I think there is another group of legislators who come to me privately and say, you know, Greg, we really want to support this, but we are really afraid of some of the right-wing votes that would come out against us. Uh, if we did vote against it. So they're, they're afraid of their base. Uh, and so I need to work on helping them figure out a way to overcome that. Now, you were referring indirectly to um, what's known as SB 43, which is the bill that was passed and signed into law last session, which in effect makes it more difficult to sue for discrimination in Missouri on any grounds. And um, 
as a result, we've had some national groups who have vilified the state over this. I'm not going one way or the other, but the fact is the NAACP recommended at one point people don't stop here. Uh, there's even been one of the major travel groups that said they sh people shouldn't uh, visit Missouri. Um, I know some of the businesses are really still at some of the major businesses are more upset by the law than some of the rural businesses, some of whom who were, who were behind it to begin with. So, But my question is, I would think that the chances of Mona having any chance are slimmer because, if anything, the General Assembly may be trying to figure out how to correct some of the provisions on SB 43, which are already causing some legal problems. So, how do you see this playing out? I, I understand what you're saying with that. I, I think I might look at it the opposite way, that now that they have gone through and gutted so much of the, the meat of the human rights statute, uh, that perhaps they, they don't mind so much of adding someone else to it. Uh, I believe it was in committee last year when we were hearing Mona, uh, the, the representative from the Missouri Chamber of Commerce was there to testify against Mona uh, and was asked the question if, if uh, SB 43 passes, would you come here and be supportive next year? And I don't believe he flat out said yes, but the indication was, you know, if you pass SB 43, then we will definitely be reconsidering our position. Uh, I don't want to put exact words in that person's mouth, but it was something to that effect. Uh, so I, I think there is more openness to it because the business community is no longer all that afraid of the human rights statute, which is also another thing that we have to take care of is fixing what that broke last year. So in the last few minutes, I do want to delve a little bit into politics. We're recording this on on Wednesday, February 7th, which is a less than a day after a slate of special elections throughout the state. Um, the big news that came out from this is that uh, your caucus ended up picking up a previously Republican seat in northern Jefferson County. Actually, Democrats came pretty close to winning a southeast Missouri seat or a south central seat that features um, Iron, Reynolds, Washington, and Wayne counties. I'm going to play a clip now from the winner of that race in House District 97, Mike Ravis. Um, he defeated a Republican by about 100 votes. And I asked him what he attributed his victory to. And I'll use this as a jumping off point uh, for, for maybe a glimpse into 2018 later on in the year. You know, we had a lot of people going door to door. And then they would, you know, I, I would always try to catch up with everyone and just get a sense for, you know, what are people's concerns? What are people wanting to talk to you about when it's 19 degrees and you're on their doorstep? And it, it wasn't um, it wasn't about any, you know, the governor scandals. Um, they really weren't even talking about, you know, President Trump. Um, it was concerns over attacks on the labor community, and it was concerns about attacks on our public education system. So when you hear something like this, especially with the backdrop that that right to work is going to be on the ballot, either in November or possibly in August, if the legislature or there might it. be several different permutations of it, either pro or con. Um, wh what do you think this means for your caucus? Because obviously a lot of people are really excited that you picked up a previously Republican seat and 
there's a there's a possibility it might replicate itself in in a few months. What do you what do you make of of what Representative Elect uh, Ravis said? Well, let me back up for just a moment, if I can, uh, to what we started off this conversation with, which is Pemiscot County. Yes, Pemiscot County is probably one of the, if not the, uh, poorest counties in the state of Missouri. Uh, the poverty is unbelievable. I represent a part of Kansas City, which I believe I've been told is the second wealthiest per capita uh, in the state. So I, I, I have experience in, in various places, and Jefferson County would probably be something in the middle. And I hear the same thing when I go home to visit family in Pemiscot County when I'm at my home uh, in Kansas City. People are concerned about these cuts to higher education. People are concerned if they're going to have a job. People are concerned that the roads and bridges are crumbling right beneath our tires, and they want real answers. And the issue is, and what we as Democrats have to put forward, is that the extreme right within the Republican Party has complete control of the state government. And if we're ever going to get to a point where we can have good, reasonable conversations in Jefferson City and find good public policy, we have to bring some balance back to Jefferson City. Uh, we need that balance. We need all those voices to be heard within our own caucus. Uh, we, we need more rural Democrats. We need more conservative Democrats. Uh, within the Republican caucus, I wish they had more, uh, uh, more moderate Republicans. Um, you know, I, I spent eight years working for Claire McCaskill, and I've learned the importance of being uh, moderate in the state of Missouri, uh, which is something that I try to do. Uh, you talk about enthusiasm uh, for campaigns. If we're looking ahead to November, right to work is going to be on the ballot. Senator McCaskill is going to be on the ballot. We're going to have a slew of Democrats contesting in House races across the state that we haven't contested in a long time. And I think the enthusiasm's on our side. One of the numbers I would point at, so fundraising numbers in that United States Senate campaign came out uh, a week or so ago, and everybody focused on the dollar amount. Uh, uh, Josh Hawley raised, you know, a little under a million dollars, 900000 and Senator McCaskill raised $2.9 million. The more important thing was is that Hawley raised his million dollars from 1,500 people. Claire's money came from 100,000 individual donors, $2.9 million from 100,000 people. Uh, that shows the enthusiasm gap uh, between Democrats and Republicans this cycle. Uh, and so we have to make sure that we keep our base motivated, uh, that we go out and we also talk to those folks who are <coughs> middle-of-the-road voters uh, who just want government to work and uh, to do what we're supposed to do and stay out of their lives and say, We've got to have some balance in our government. Uh, and I think that's why you see Mike winning last night and that, that primary while we almost picked up the Southeast Missouri seat. Uh, it, this has to happen. This balance has to happen. I want to shift gears a little bit to uh, Senator McCaskill's reelection, which I know you're, you're following very closely. Mm -hmm. You know, what I think she needs to do is three things. She needs to have very good turnout in St. Louis, Kansas City, and to some extent, Columbia, although I know Boone County is more Republican than it used to be, but she's typically done well there. I think she also needs to get between 35 and 40 percent in, in rural counties. And I think that she needs to compete, if not outright win in places like Jefferson County, 
And I, I'm mentioning that— She has to win Jefferson County. I, I think so, too. And I'm mentioning all this is because this is how she won in 2006. I, I don't really look at 2012 as a template because I, I'm sure people want to say that Holly is, is Aiken, but if he still has all the third-party money behind him, it's going to be very similar to 06 where it's going to be two well-funded candidates running against each other. You, you know Senator McCaskill probably, I don't want to say better than everybody, but probably better than most of your, your Democratic colleagues. How do you think that she navigates this state and does all those things I just mentioned to, to win a third term? Well, I think you you have hit the nail on the head. You know, she has to have that motivated motivated inner city basis in St. Louis and Kansas City, uh, and and she has to uh, be competitive and win the collar county. So, you know, you mentioned Jefferson County. I'm on the Kansas City side, and think of Eastern Jackson, uh, Clay and Platt. Uh, she, you know, she's got to do well in those. She also has to perform well in Greene County, Buchanan County, uh, Cape Girardeau. Uh, those types of areas. Uh, but I think a key is, you know, there's this, I think there's this mentality that Democrats completely ignore rural Missouri. And if you want to look at somebody who doesn't ignore rural Missouri, then that's Claire McCaskill. Uh, in the last year, she did 50 town hall meetings. I think all of them were in, all except maybe a couple. I think she did one in Independence, and that wouldn't count. But all of, almost all of these in counties that Trump won overwhelmingly, she intentionally went and stood up and did question and answers in parts of the state where she knew people didn't like her uh, because that's part of her job. So she's going to be she's out there a senator doing that. She's going to be out there as a cam, uh, as a candidate doing that. Uh, and people who take Claire lightly or think that uh, Josh Hawley is going to walk into this seat, I don't think know Claire McCaskill very well. Uh, she's tough. She is uh, hard-nosed. Uh, she is a excellent campaigner. Uh, she's even a better United States senator. Uh, and it was, uh, I'm biased because it was an honor to work for her for eight years. Uh, but uh, I have no doubt that she's going to do everything she can uh, to make sure that she wins this. And yes, you mentioned, you know, Holly, would he have the money? Absolutely, Josh Holly's going to have the money. Uh, the groups around the country are coming after Claire, uh, and they're going to make sure whether he can raise the money himself or not, they're going to make sure he's got plenty of money to go and attack her on. Uh, I think the difference is his money comes from those 1,500 people. Hers came from 100,000. One last question before we let you go. Do you think there's any possibility that someone other than Holly wins that Republican primary? You know, I don't know what's going on. Uh, you know, I, again, I, I don't run in that circle, uh, but, you know, you hear Ann Wagner's name come up. You see uh, former Senator Bond uh, expressing frustration uh, with the attorney general uh, and then uh, Talon having to come out to his, his rescue the other day. I'm not sure what's going on, and I'm not sure, you know, the Republican leadership knows what's going on in their party right now. Well, candidate filing doesn't begin for about a little under three weeks, and then it runs for about a month, so then we'll have a decent idea about who's running and who's not. And We're going to know. But, but yeah, I think some call it buyer's remorse. Some just think there's kind of second-guessing on going on because Missouri will be one of the states 
that will determine whether the Republicans or the Democrats control the U.S. Senate. I mean, that's that's the upshot of all this. There was some remorse that, you know, in the past couple of presidential elections, Missouri hasn't been seeing that influx of money, especially from the Democratic side, uh, coming in. And, you know, you hear I hear my constituents talk about, man, we I wish we were getting paid more attention. Uh, people are about to get a uh, just be flooded with television ads here in a few months for both of these candidates. And I think it's important to point out, and Senator McCaskill says this all the time, there are going to be those third party ads. Uh, you know, the, the committee for mom and apple pie. Uh, and whether, I'll, I'll, I'll say just what Claire says, whether those committee ads are for or against her, ignore them because you don't know who they are and you don't know where their money's coming from or what their agenda is. Uh, so whether those ads are for or against it, if it doesn't end with, I'm filling the candidate's name and I approve this message, then ignore that commercial. And there'll probably be a lot of those types of ads for the next few years in the, <clears throat> excuse me, in this post-amendment two universe. But that's a discussion for another day. Absolutely. We, we want to just thank you so much for this great conversation. For all of our stories, stlpublicradio.org. Follow me on Twitter, Jay Rosenbaum. Follow Joe on Twitter at Jay Manis. That's J-M-A-N-N-I-E-S. And how would people be able to follow you either on Twitter or any other part of the World Wide Web? They can follow me on Twitter at Greg Razor. It's spelled R-A-Z-E-R. And then just find me on Facebook. Very good. We'll be back next time. Until then, so long.